Karen. How are you today? Good. How are you, Q? Oh, you know, getting over. Uh, I was. Uh, I've been like bedridden for the past several days. Today's the first day that I'm really like up and about. My goodness, the, them kids. They brought home a flu from school or from daycare, mm. and it wasn't so bad for them. Like they, you know, they they were over it like quick. But me, it laid me flat on my back for days. How are you? Well, you know, I recovered from what I think was probably a flu also uh, last week. And then yesterday or day before, well, yesterday, I guess, um, I started sneezing. Or no, day before, night before. I just started sneezing like nonstop. And yesterday it's been like that too, today too. Uh, I put on a winter hat. Uh, I think it's the weather change. It's not necessarily the cold, but something about the change in weather that yeah. throws me off. So anyway, but I mean, I don't think I have a full-fledged flu again, but definitely feels like I have some kind of. Yeah, and it sucks because you have this uh, this new variant that's going around. So anytime I start like sneezing or coughing, I say, you know, I might stick for COVID. You never know. You don't really know. You know? Yeah. So I had, yeah, like, you, last... know you can get those free tests, uh, home tests now, right? I know. I know. I'm just, uh, where, like, do you, you get them at Shoppers Drug Mart or where you get them? Because I, I went down so. to the. I think you can get them at farm, like any pharmacy. Okay, I went down to the clinic to go get my test. I should probably just go over to Shoppers Drug Mart and make sure I have like a, you know, uh, a free one on hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can get like I think they well they can give you they'll give you like a five pack, and then you can just okay. get it again the next time. Like each time, you can get a five pack basically. Yeah. You know, so. Okay. Stock up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even like leaving my house these days. You know, I'm a, I'm a homebody. I just every, everything I need to do, I just do at home. You know, my gym at home, mm-hmm. my work at home. I work from home. I work remotely. You know, I don't uh-huh. I have to go nowhere. I don't even like going outside. Every time I go outside, everything changed. They uh, chopped down a forest right next to my house because they're doing a um, a new house and development next door. So everything got deforested, and I, I'm like I'm the kind of person that like I like I don't know living in a little bit of seclusion, but. Everything, everything is just open now. Like there's there used to be like a big dense like wooded area to. The left of my home and a big dense wooded area to the right. They chopped down the wooded area to the right to build a condo, and now they chopped down the one to the left to go build a new townhouse complex. I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I'm gonna go out, move out to the woods somewhere. Oh, yeah. Moving. But you wouldn't know about you wouldn't know about all that because you're in the west end of Toronto. So, <laughs> well, yeah. But moving out into the woods, I mean, yeah, it's not as lovely as uh, Scarberia, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm actually right next to Scarberia too. Uh-huh. But I'm like right near the Rouge Valley, so you know there's still like some like natural canopy and whatnot, but not no more. They're uh, they're quickly urbanizing my area. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. feel like one of those. I feel like one of those old white dudes that shows up to city council meetings to like complain about you know them uh, cutting down trees too fast, and then and then and then because there's so much concrete around, it's like it's it's, it's causing more runoff and. You know, my neighbor's like cutting down a tree in the backyard. Does he have proper permission for that? I'm gonna be one of those people, like one of those NIMBYs. Not just not not just not in my backyard, but not in yours either. But not in nobody's backyard. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, what do we want to talk about today, Q? Well, um, a cabin in the woods, <laughs> <laughs> which I totally would be. Up wasn't for. It, wasn't the plot of a horror movie or something? I don't know. Oh, that's um, that's a plot of many horror movies. I okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not not the least among them, um, uh, Evil Dead. But yeah, I, I I get I get the people's impulse to like want to move out into the woods and you know dress like uh dress in hoodies and, and sweatpants like like the Unabomber. I I get the impulse now. I get it. <laughs> um. 
So, yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, the currencies and sanctions and how all of this stuff is supposedly going to work. Because apparently uh, what's supposed to happen now is that or what here's here's, I think, what the Western conception of what sanctions were going to look like. Russia was going to continue providing commodities to Western Europe and Western Europe could just sanction the fuck out of Russia. <laughs> so it's like you give us what we want. We're going to give you nothing. I'm not exactly sure how they thought that was going to work. Sorry, the sanctions against Russia, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so Russia was going to continue providing commodities to Western yeah. Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they were going to provide liquid natural gas, oil, et cetera. Like, they were going to provide, they were going to provide for their energy needs. Mm-hmm. And in return, Europe was just going to sanction Russia, and Russia should just yeah, it, it, take it's it. Like, it's like if you, um, if you like, let's say you you have you know your kids like to go to. Uh, I don't know, um, uh, low blahs or something. I mean, that's a horrible example, but let's say whatever. And you like start banning it. You tell your kids, no, you can't go to low blahs anymore. And yet you keep getting groceries from low blahs. Like, do you, do you pronounce <laughs> this stuff this way on purpose? What did I say? You said low blahs. It's low blahs. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like you, like so the way you say I'm Wikipedia. I'm not a Canadian. Well, that, that, the, the Wikipedia is on purpose. <laughs> okay. Low blast. You sound like a Jamaican. Yeah, man. We're going, yeah, we, go, we have to go out to the grocery store. Which one? Yeah, I'll go to Low Blast. <laughs> <laughs> what are you Sorry, supposed to say? How are you supposed to say it? Low Blast. Oh, whatever. Yeah, man. I'll go to Low Blast. <laughs> I find that if I mispronounce English, I'm only doing an anti-colonial. I do it out of anti-colonial reasons because it's the yeah. Queen's English, and I want to fuck that up. So yeah, okay, but that was completely on. That was like completely by accident, right? <laughs> that was that was okay. Accident. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But now I'll say it on purpose from now on. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so you like you like bla- you like ban your family from shopping in a store, and then continue to get all your groceries from that store. Like, I don't understand how that works. I, and I, I didn't, I don't think they thought this through, you know, what is yeah, the... you, you go to the grocery store and you fill up your cart and you just leave. And <laughs> if they have a problem right. with it, it's, no, 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 we're sanctioning you. Yeah. But right, we're, we're still providing you. you, we're providing you goods that you're supposed to pay for. Yeah. But yeah. We're, we're sanctioning you. So, and I guess like the, the, the analogy doesn't completely hold because they want it in, a, in their like home car. But the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, it's their commodity. Like the commodity was coming out of Russia. So they can, if they want, listen, if they wanted to demand payments in like, I don't know, gold bars, they have every right to do that too. Like it's whatever currency that they demand is what ought to be expected, especially if they're under sanction. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So now they did that. So they, they thought they were such hoity toity fucking assholes. Oh, we're going to sanction Russia while continuing to get oil or gas from Russia. Um, but that didn't quite work out. It kind of backfired. In fact, so could you, I mean, I know you have a lot more like understanding of how the whole, you know, I don't know, money works. Uh, so could you just okay. explain it for me and so, the audience? How, how okay. the sanctions backfired? What's going on with the ruble versus the euro dollar, whatever? Okay, so what happened was last last week Thursday, um, Vladimir Putin uh, signed a <clears throat> signed off on a on a decree um, saying that uh, foreign buyers, rather foreign buyers who are designated hostile, have to pay for Russian gas in rubles. Mm-hmm. Now the so that means that the buyers of according to what Putin said, buyers of Russian gas have to open ruble accounts in Russian banks, and from those accounts. That's how payments are going to be made for gas. So you can't simply pay for gas in 
euros. You can't pay for gas in U.S. dollars. You have to open up um, an account with a financial institution in Russia, and that's how uh, gas is going to be paid for. And what Putin says is that if such payments are, are, are not made, he will consider it a default, or not he, but we, because he said we, as in Russia, will consider the default on the part of buyers with all the ensuing consequences. Nobody sells us anything for free. We're not going to do charity either. That is, existing contracts will be stopped. So that's basically to mean exactly what I just said before. Uh, we're not going to continue to deliver you goods and you don't pay us. I, so the problem is if you disconnect Russia from SWIFT, they're not, they're not able to make um, the global payments uh, through the international transaction system, SWIFT, then you've essentially cordoned off the economy and you're laying economic siege to them, which means that not only, I mean, the way that it was sold was that it's targeting the largest Russian oligarchs. But the problem with that logic is that in order to target a Russian quote-unquote oligarch, you have to target the... Uh-oh, you cut out, Q. ...able to, I don't know, freeze their foreign accounts and, and cause them to uh, kneel and say, uncle, that way. That means you have to start targeting the Russian banks with which they do business, meaning that that those Russian banks cannot can no longer seek outside financing. So they can do business within the country, but they can't do business outside of the country. This doesn't really make any sense. If we know, for example, that we have an international supply chain and, and we saw how delicate and how fragile it is because the just-in-time system left the international supply chain uh, almost collapsed last year uh, when, when goods being moved into the United States uh, were, were hit a choke point at the ports, had previously hit a choke point when a, a barge ended up uh, blockading the Suez Canal by complete accident. You know that if if uh, the movement of goods is difficult enough to do, then the movement of capital is also very difficult to do. So it has to be able to move about freely in the global system in order for goods to move about freely in the global system. Hey, Q, can you hear me? Hey, I can hear you. Can you not hear me? Um, your audio got a little quieter. It cut out, and then it got quieter. So I don't know if something changed. Okay. Can, is it better now, or is it still quiet? It's still kind of quiet, like a little distant. Um, oh, boy. All right. It was fine uh, in the very beginning, but anyway. Yeah, I think it's because somebody called my phone. But uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, this is as good as it's going to get. All right. Is, okay. No as loud as the microphone goes. Okay. No worries. Okay. Yeah. Continue, please. Yeah. So um, long story short, it, like in order for the global supply chain to run, you have to have the free movement of goods, but you also have to have the free movement of capital. Once capital becomes plugged up for any particular nation um, and you've, try, like, you've deliberately tried to move them from the global supply chain uh, on the capital side, well, how do you expect them to have goods continue to move, but they don't get the capital? So uh, if you're uh, locking down Russian banks and preventing them from doing international business and seeking outside financing, what that then means is that they can no longer finance businesses from within the country. If businesses from within the country can no longer seek financing, that means like, who's going to end up uh, getting hit the hardest first? Usually the first places that the first place companies look to when they're cutting costs is payroll. That's the most flexible, uh, available um, asset that they have is how large of a workforce do we have? Can we make less people work? Like, can we make less people do more? And of course they can. So they'll cut the payroll. They'll lay off uh, a bunch of employees, which means by targeting quote unquote Russian oligarchs, you've deliberately caused a domino effect where people are getting laid off of work and people who are still working end up having to do more. And it's not like they don't know who's causing this to happen. So Russia's retaliation uh, for that is for 
um, them to sort of circumvent that whole process by saying, well, you have to keep our finance uh, within Russia and uh, provide funding to us through rubles. The way that you do that is uh, a couple of ways. Either you, you, you buy Russian goods, you uh, purchase um, Russian rubles on the foreign exchange market and deposit it in those banks, you pay for it in gold, uh, and probably the, the two ways that are going to be the most feasible for any of these outside countries that still want to continue the flow of liquid natural gas and oil is that they um, exchange gold for rubles and that they continue to purchase Russian goods. Uh, that's pretty much it. Because the other way, like uh, exchanging um, exchanging for Forex, exchanging euros and U.S. dollars for rubles on the foreign exchange markets means that the ruble, because it's now in demand, is going to appreciate in value. And that's what EU countries and that's what the U.S. doesn't want. So it's not as if Russia has completely sort of like bargained its way out of sanctions. And it's not like people aren't going to continue to suffer, but at least they've found one way to mitigate it. But Germany is now saying that that amounts to blackmail. I'm not really sure how they would call that blackmail when it's you're you're buying a good that they're selling and on their terms and you need the good. Over 30% of your energy supply comes from Russian oil and gas. So how the hell? Right. <laughs> how, well, how I think you can call it blackmail. Germany, I, from what I read, is basically they're saying they were saying that the currency was part of the terms that were already negotiated and agreed upon so that if they change that if russia changes currency now it would be defaulting on their agreement or something yeah like but that. it's also i mean is it not changing the terms of the agreement if you put the country under sanction yeah exactly like that's that's the counter yeah so and yeah. and like everything that's happened i mean if they're sanctioning the banks and you know swift and everything else then how is like that changes the whole terms of the agreement anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Putin's response to that was that uh, what is actually happening? What has already happened? We've supplied European consumers with our resources. In this case, gas. They received it. They paid us in euros, which they then froze themselves. So in this regard, there's every reason to believe that we delivered part of the gas provided to Europe practically free of charge. That of course cannot continue. So I, I, I don't know. Like. When when I've, I've, I haven't really heard on like cable news and newspapers, etc. I haven't really heard people argue this point of view, um, and people that I have seen uh, argue that point of view on social media immediately get called Putinistas and Russian puppets and Moscow sock puppet accounts and so on and so on. But it's like if you if you want to understand like how politics is conducted out like outside of your narrow terms that you yourselves as Americans believe that you have the right to enforce on the rest of the world. If you want to understand what other people's points of view are and how to work with them, at the very least, you have to try to see what their point of view is. And from the Russian point of view, regardless of whatever conflict you have over uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that is separate and distinct from the fact that you're still buying Russian commodities. So you can't put a country under sanction and then at the same time be like, okay, so we're going to freeze the assets that we're Buying from you, which is, I mean, from the Russian point of view, it's handed out to theft. Like, we're, <laughs> we're going to pay for the goods in a currency that we can simply freeze and not allow you to have access to. Uh, and Russia should just take it. I, I don't see how that logic works. Yeah, well, the U.S. and EU are used to only, you know, to squeezing, like, weaker countries that do not have the kind of uh, 
sort of power, the pull and power in the in the rest of the world that Russia has. So I think they just didn't realize that they can't do this. They can't pull these kind of mafia tactics with Russia. They can, you know? they can do that? <laughs> so like, yeah, they're used to doing it, whatever they want with, with all the, uh, the uh, Afghanistan and Yemen and all that. Um, so let me ask you another question. So um, and, and callers, if you have uh, questions or comments, especially about this topic, we're going to try to stick to this topic today and not veer too far. Um, I know the last few shows we've had kind of have we've kind of bounced around on different Listen, topics. But I don't want nobody coming up here come talk about China or yeah. Iran or Indonesia. We're not talking about no South Pacific or North Korea. We're talking about Russia and rubles right now. Yeah, we're talking about currency and, and the whole situation in between EU and Russia, especially. Um, so, Q, tell me, like recently, like literally in the last twenty four hours, I read that. Um, Germany and Russia have come to an agreement that now Russia will sell the oil in euros, but it has to go through Gazprom. So have you read about this and what is that? No, I've been my ability to consume news has been like severely hampered by the fact that if I like, I don't know, put text in front of my face for more than minutes at a time, I develop a severe headache and just have to go lay down again. So I, yeah, okay, I, I wasn't aware. Okay, well, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'm literally just reading and, and it's very hard to tell what's actually new news uh, because just now there was like a raid of Gazprom offices in Germany. So I'm not really sure, you know, like things are developing way too fast. But what I understand is that like literally today is the deadline for Germany to either agree to pay in rubles according to what I heard as of yesterday. But now again, what I'm hearing today is different. So if anybody has updates, Please do jump on in, press the call button, uh, the little phone button in on the bottom, and you can get on our speakers list and you can come and chat with us. Yeah, I, I did. Topic. I did see. Um, I did hear what you're talking about with regards to the uh, the raid of Gazprom offices in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, that I knew about. So, like, there's a couple of uh, subsidiaries that uh, Gazprom has in Germany. So there's uh, Wingus GmbH. Like GmbH is like I don't know the German version of like LLC, right? So Wingus GmbH are, are uh, incorporated. Wingus GmbH and uh, Gazprom Germania GmbH. So um, way back, it was like last year uh, that the EU began an investigation of Gazprom Germania and, and Wingus. And uh, what they wanted to find out was whether Gazprom was uh, engaging in uh, currency or uh, market manipulation. So... I don't know, like, I'm not exactly sure how at this point you can explain it as, oh, this is a complete coincidence. Like, we were simply conducting our investigation in accordance with um, in accordance with the process that was begun last year, seeing as how, like, late last year, there was still saber-rattling about what would happen if, if, uh, if Russia invaded Ukraine. And then now, right up to the deadline, where Russia is saying you have to begin paying us in rubles, uh, purchased through banks that are opened up in Russia... All of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the, the two subsidiaries find their offices raided. So I, I find that a little bit too precious by half. I did also see um, that uh, there was a plan to allow customers to keep paying in euros. Um, but I guess uh, – I'm not exactly sure how that one works out because I'm not, like, sitting in front of my computer. So anybody that wants to hop up on the, uh, on the queue, just, like, you know – tap the little Q button and, and hop on up and have a conversation with us. But yeah, um, there would still be a, there would still be deliveries um, that would be, uh, that would have euros 
uh, paid to Gazprom Bank, and Gazprom Bank is not. Uh, I, I, we talked about this last time. Gazprom is not affected by the sanctions, so just about everything um, in Russia was sanctioned except for energy exports. So Gazprom Bank is the uh, the entity that handles um, contracts, and apparently uh, Germany is still able to go through Gazprom Bank. Gazprom Bank would allow those countries to convert euros to rubles. I didn't know whether or not that that was going to end up being agreed upon, but I know that that was one of the, the means by which there could be sort of like a compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually surprised that Putin didn't simply say, uh, yeah, absolutely not. You're just going to have to open up accounts here, and if you don't like it, well, <laughs> enjoy enjoy the rest of your cold winter. All right, yeah. uh, Johnny, you can go ahead and unmute, unmute your microphone, lower right-hand corner. Uh, Q, also, I think you need to make me mod here. Oh, yeah, sure. Hey, guys. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Hey, uh, I dropped in the chat um, one of my favorite blogs, Naked Capitalism, which does a pretty good roundup of reading a few different press articles. There's an FT one. Well, all right. Well, the article starts out uh, with exactly what you guys were talking about, right? The meeting between Schultz, the chancellor, and Putin to work out the gas for rubles mechanism. It does go into the the military issues as well, but it does cite um, Putin's original statement. Uh, it then moves on to uh, DW, the German right news write up, um, and then there's a Reuters and an FT citing in there. So that one's that one's pretty good to to dig into. It, it it's trying to cover you know a, a lot of different media sources on that one. So that that one that one's a pretty good roundup. It looks like. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you got that very, very accurately as far as I can tell. Um, they got to open a, an account at Gazprom Bank. Gazprom, of course, being the state-owned oil company. Um, so they're going to have to, and I'm curious, like, what the exchange, and it doesn't, it doesn't detail, like, how the exchange rate is determined, because obviously the ruble is fluctuating quite rapidly and has since the whole conflict began. So I don't know if the price was set for the, for, you know, and, and oil and gas is always, it's never done at the spot market. There's always long-term contracts in place, right? And, you know, in order, because it just, you have to have, you know, a, a set price uh, with with limited changes in that, in that price in order to, you know, have enough predictability for businesses to invest, right? So these things are always bound up in long-term contracts. I don't know if they've renegotiated whether the price for that oil and gas is going to be set in rubles or in dollars. It probably was at least prior to the conflict set in dollars. Um, most con- most oil is priced in dollars, but now I'm wondering if they just have to take whatever the current exchange rate is in rubles versus the dollar or, or if they're going to change that, that part's not clear. Um, but you, you nailed it as far as, you know, German buyers have to go open an account at Gazprom, uh, Gazprom the bank uh, end of Gazprom, not oil company Gazprom. So um, it, it is weird how the Western press is treating this as a climb down when it's just kind of not. Um, it basically it's the most controlled reaction you could reasonably have seen the Russians do in terms of maintaining their own flexibility to get paid and be able to like, uh, you know, the important context, I don't think you said directly, but uh, it sounds like, you know, you know it, but the central bank reserves got frozen, right? 300, Russia's built up a huge stockpile of central bank reserves in dollars, mostly, and maybe a little bit of euros. I think it was like $300 billion. 
So when we talk about the magnitude of what the Western asset freeze means, right, because the central bank of Russia got sanctioned, that's 300 billion in U.S. dollars. They can't move. They're just stuck. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you guys were talking, you, they're getting paid in a currency they can't use. Um, you know, the, the accounts are frozen, you know, imagine your salary, you got paid into an account and then your bank froze it, but you're supposed to work and we're still going to pay you, but you can't like spend that money or take it out or do anything with it. Well, I mean, they, yeah, they have plenty of, uh, gold and they have plenty of foreign currency. So, yep. um, I think right before, uh, I forget which publication I saw this, but, uh, it was either, it was either Forbes or the wall street journal. Um, it was one of the, one of the financial publications, but, um, Russia's holdings um, since 2014 have nearly doubled. So uh, in 2014, their holdings in gold and foreign currencies was somewhere to the order of like 600 or 350 odd billion dollars, and now yeah. it's somewhere near 650 billion dollars. Uh, uh, overall, overall reserves, because the number I had seen as far as dollar reserves frozen was 300 billion so it, oh, no, no, not, half not their reserve how much billion. how much that they had uh how much they had amassed in the central bank in terms of uh gold and foreign foreign currency just overall total assets half yeah, of yeah. which are in dollars that yeah, i could buy that yeah if they've probably been slowly trying to offload their dollar holdings over the years uh the problem is the european central bank doesn't like to see its currency go up very much and this is going to be an interesting problem to see how it works out over the next some odd years, right? Because um, like you guys were saying, now it's become clear that central bank reserves, you know, at the Fed are a political tool, right? So it's one thing to do it, you know, with the Iranians and the Afghans and the Libyans, but now you did it to 300 billion of assets with the Russians. So the question is going to be how many other countries look at that and say, look, we just can't trust dollar holdings anymore. We can't have accounts at the Fed or with New York banks, and we need to find something else to hold. Yep. And the question is, what, what are they going to go and hold? Because nobody else wants those currency flows. And that's kind of why the, the world has been on a de facto dollar reserve standard for many decades now, is the U.S. Yeah, is willing which, to which run. Other, which other currency do you think would like to slowly replace the petrodollar as the default reserve holding? Yeah, I, I know you're hinting at the Chinese yuan, but understand the implications of that, right? Mm -hmm. Does China want to see its currency rise by significant amounts against the U.S. dollar? Because that would highly imperil their export-based economic model that they have now pursued for many decades. Now, you could say, all right, well, China clearly is preparing the ground for a policy shift, right? They're looking to get rid of their own dollars. Um, they're splashing out on infrastructure projects all over the world. They've right. they probably piled up more dollars than they can, um, than they can, than they know what to do with. Right. Um, and it's, it's clear they're not going to be able to find a use for all of, all of the dollars they've got. Um, and I think they, they're looking to offload them as well. They, they want to spend them somewhere and they want to basically, you know, build influence and political capital and infrastructure. Right, and trade which is, to my imagination, that's what the that's one of the purposes of the Belt and Road Initiative is to allow yes. those currency outflows to happen. Yeah, exactly. Because they they're sitting on a monstrous stockpile of stuff that they can't get rid of otherwise, um, and then they're trying to figure out how to make effective use of right. it. But, but all that is the, the result uh, of a of an economic model of where they piled up dollars for years. But the yeah. yuan the yuan is not a convertible currency, right? You can't 
freely trade yuan uh ramen bf kit which one one's domestic and one's the internationally traded version um but they've got that dual currency regime it's a very kind of messy regime it's not like a very simple one like we're used to here in in the u.s or even in canada i think uh the canadian dollar is freely convertible as well the chinese do have a lot of um foreign currency restrictions in place. They don't like to take like hedge fund money, you know, George Soros style, you know, currency raids and trading and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of other, you know, Asian countries did that, implemented foreign currency restrictions, especially after the 1998 Asian crisis. Um, I think South Korea rolled them out, Malaysia rolled them out. Um, a lot of those, uh, Hong Kong had a currency board. I'm not sure how that translates into today's world where they've kind of just, just, for, just for people in the audience that may not be aware did you want to explain the difference between convertible currencies and non-convertible currencies is that yeah so uh if you want to trade in say if you're a hedge fund right because you know that's the kind of person or the kind of institution who would want to trade um actively trade in foreign currencies and foreign uh, markets you would need to go apply for an account to be able to trade in south korea um each country's got their own process um, you know, I, I'm using South Korea as an example because I, I dealt with it once at work. Um, so you've got a whole application process and it's a, a much more cumbersome process to get through. Uh, if you want to go trade in Europe, you can be up and running very quickly with that. But if you want to go trade South Korean equities, you know, or, or just hold Korean won, it's, it's, a, it's much more of an application process. You've got to get approved. Um, it's just not an easy process to do. And the reason is, is a lot of the Asian countries don't want hot money inflows uh, in the post-1998 environment. They realize how dangerous that is. So what do I mean by hot money flows, right? If you are a hedge fund and you think the South Korean won is going to go up, you would love to be able to freely buy a ton of South Korean currency. But that's very disruptive to normal South Koreans domestic South Korean businesses and people, you know, everyday people trying to make everyday spending decisions, including everyday businesses trying to make everyday spending decisions. Um, having hedge funds, you know, buy and sell your currency and drive the currency up, drive the currency down. It's very disruptive. It's very unpredictable. You know, it's, it just makes life more difficult if you've got more variables. But of course, you know, hedge funds love that kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's the kind of playground they operate in. Um, and every, a lot of the Asian countries put a lot of restrictions in that post-1998. Um, China's got heavier restrictions than most countries in the region. It, it looks to me like maybe China does want to get off the dollar, but I'm not sure they want to be the world's currency. Um, they want to get off the SWIFT payment flat platform. The Russians want to get off the SWIFT payment platform. But I don't think they want a world where everyone holds their foreign exchange reserves in Chinese yuan, because that would make the yuan go up and it would hurt their export model. And if they lose competitiveness, then factories have trouble selling things abroad. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, people get laid off, factories close. It just, you know, it, it undermines their model. Um, they're still trying to drive like, you know, solar panel companies in the U.S. out of business. Um, you know, I, I've seen a few headlines in the news over that, over whether, you know, we're going to impose tariffs on solar panel dumping. Right, right. So uh, so the, the, the difficulty in having it replace the dollar as the other uh, reserve currency is that it's not as, like, easily tradable. So we, we're used to a model where, um, like, the, the dollar kind of uh, – how am I going to put this? The dollar – sort of like 
plays two roles. And we're not even really used to thinking about the two roles that it plays versus with, with other countries where um, there may be uh, two different uh, names or uh, two different like labels for the currency. So that's why, for example, um, people think of the, uh, the renminbi and the yuan. So the renminbi is the medium of exchange for China, and the yuan is the, the unit of account. So if you uh, if you then have the yuan as the uh, the reserve currency, China then has to sort of merge those currencies into a single unit, mm-hmm. whereas the dollar essentially already performs that function. And I know this is going to like I don't know I'm, I'm trying to explain this in terms that I'm not getting super financially geeky with it, but yeah I, I think that they're at a point now where they've. Uh, they they have invested um, in enough projects abroad. Uh, they have enough. Uh, they have a healthy enough um, a re- reliability of their exports, uh, and they have enough countries that are willing to do business with them over uh, Western countries in the IMF. That moving towards a, a single unit, and even having their the value of their uh, of their currency appreciate, I don't think necessarily hurts them in the long run. I think. Long run, if you are looking to replace the uh, the petrodollar, you you do have to be able to put up with the uh, the rise in currency. I think keeping the currency uh, value low for this long has allowed them to develop relationships with outside nations, especially uh, you know countries in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, Africa. Well, Latin well it's America, allowed to, it's allowed them to build their industrial base on an yeah. export based growth model, which I think right. is the key for them. Right, they're not interested in dominating. The hedge fund and financial space they're interested in making stuff and selling it abroad exactly yeah and and unfortunately with i mean the eu i don't think the eu has as big a problem with this as the u.s dollar does the u.s dollar no longer represents the ability to simply make things the u.s dollar represents the ability to financialize things which are two completely different things it's kind of why i hate how the words like the economy and the market have become interchangeable mm. because the economy isn't necessarily healthy at the best of times. The market is usually fairly healthy, but the market just means the ability of investors, especially public investors, to financialize projects that left to their own devices probably would have died a long time ago. It's why all of these startups can just like grow like weeds and then like terminate immediately. I'm thinking of like a company like WeWork, for example. What the fuck was WeWork's model? Nobody has any idea. <laughs> I, it was fraud. Yeah. <laughs> as far as I, I could tell, it was fraud. It was selling yeah. a story. You it know? never should have made it out of the crib. But because of financialization and because of the uh, the makeup of the U.S. dollar, how, how it how it functions, as both um, it functions as in both the ability to make things and the ability to easily finance things. So it's performing both functions, right? The medium of exchange and the unit of account. Uh, and because that is so, I, I guess, like mystified by U.S. financial news and 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 the way that uh, business journalism works to make what I think ought to be very easy concepts uh, be made out to be complete gobbledygook. You have these companies that should never have been able to survive past infancy are now like, uh, you know, uh, companies from everywhere from like uh, from, from Facebook or Meta uh, to Tesla to Amazon, which was a money losing company for any number of years that they have become monsters in the market. And yet they don't, yet have a viable financial model except growth towards monopolization. 
Well, yeah, that's true for a lot of companies. Uh, but to go with your distinction of the economy versus the market, I mean, you've got the Federal Reserve, which is an institution designed to backstop what you what you would call the market, right? And I would right. say, actually, it, it's a whole number of markets, right? It backstops the foreign exchange markets, right? It did that in 2008. It backstops the bond markets. It backstops the um, uh, asset-backed markets for, like, uh, mortgage-backed securities, which is yeah. a massive, massive market Marshall that doesn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, it, yeah. it even backstops the equity markets, right? I don't think the Fed actually bought equities, but they kind of get the the equity market, which gets most of the headlines, generally gets the message when you know the Fed backstops. Even I think they even backstop junk bonds, which is obnoxious. I mean, junk bonds are like very shaky companies, and they yeah. I think they even backstop that, you know. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. The I did want to make a distinction in your dollar, the economic model of the euro versus the economic model uh, in the United States, right? So Germany kind of calls the shots in the in the euro area, right? So again, there was a stretch where the EU looked like it was going to become a competitor reserve currency, and the Greek debt crisis, the end, which became the broader European debt crisis, kind of put that to bed. And I think the Germans are happier that way. Because, again, they are very export-focused. If you look at most of the deals they make, uh, trade deals and the like, they're really focused, right? You know, we get whatever our, – our trade deals are driven by, like, whatever Wall Street wants, right? Their trade deals are, div are driven by whatever lets them sell, like, more BMWs and Mercedes-Benzes, right? So they will happily let China dominate entire industries as long as they can export to China. Right. They'll, you know, I think they threw Latvia under the bus. Didn't Latvia push back on, uh, I forget what that story was, but the Germans were like, yeah, Latvia, you're going to have to play ball with whatever the Chinese just asked you for because we're selling them a lot of BMWs. So Germany's export model looks different than our financialized model, right? The big export industrial conglomerates kind of call the shots in Germany much more so. So they need their currency to go down. They need to hold it down. Our, our currency, you know, we don't mind as much if it goes up and down, um, the U.S. dollar. Right. Um, right. But the Europeans really, or the Germans specifically, um, because they're so focused on exports, they need their currency to stay low. And if everybody wants to hold their reserves in euros, that pushes up the currency. That puts upward pressure on that currency. Um, so, you know, if you see uh, the Chinese or the Saudi Arabians who have huge dollar reserves start to go into the euros, you see something like the European Central Bank intervened to, you know, implement something like negative interest rates, which, as far as I can tell, the main aim of negative interest rates was to basically scream at the top of their lungs for everybody to get out of the euro as a currency and don't hold it. Mm -hmm. Because who wants to hold something that they're just going to slowly take your money on, right. you know, which is what negative interest rates do. So it's interesting that we are rapidly developing a, a real acceleration in the development of alternative payment platforms. I think I mentioned that on Glenn Greenwald's show the other day, like all of those plans, there's legal architecture that's accelerating. Uh, the Indians have a relationship with the Russians. They're looking to expand the use of their payment platform that they've got. Uh, the Chinese payment platform is getting another look. Um, you know, they're looking for alternative legal regimes, right? You know, they're not going to be pursuing this stuff in U.S. courts anymore in the Southern District of New York. They're not going to be looking at English courts in London anymore. So we are seeing, um, you know, big changes afoot. I don't want to minimize them, but I don't think we have an answer to what on earth are people going to hold in reserve besides U.S. dollars. 
Um, the Russians only don't want to get out of the U.S. dollar. They've got 300 billion of them frozen. But um, I don't know if the rest of the world has another place that they can put their money. Um, the crypto enthusiasts are going to say it's Bitcoin, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm I'm trying to wean Glenn off of the enthusiasm that you know Bitcoin is or like you know cryptocurrency is going to be like the the magic. Uh, uh, what, what's going to and not to get it not to get too far down this sidetrack, but it is worth saying. Okay, well, what if we didn't do a crypto standard? What if we did uh, gold convertible gold standard, right? Electronic gold or the right to receive gold? Would that really make the world economy a better place to operate in if we went back on the gold standard? I mean, then we wouldn't be subject to you know as, that would limit the policy freedom that the u.s central bank has the federal reserve has so it would limit their policy freedom but would that really fix any problems that you can think of because i can't i cannot no i think the only uh the only like going back on the gold standard would uh, i, I want to i don't want to say like effectively sanction those countries but it would help a lot of countries get around sanctions but would it fix those problems i don't think so no, it, 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 my answer is it wouldn't, right? And when you're saying, okay, what if the what if Bitcoin is the 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 official reserve currency that everybody starts using? It's effectively, you know, pick your commodity, right? Why is uh, a, a Bitcoin like, standard like any different than a gold? Meat. Yeah, yeah. Why not an oil standard? Everybody uses oil. You can fill your tank with it, and you know what I mean. You can do all kinds of heat house, you know. Uh, I just don't see cryptocurrency as a as a real reserve i mean it might play i mean honestly it's it's become so thoroughly legitimized that i think it it will have like a bit part to play as a as a reserve entity but i mean there's always headlines of people having their crypto stolen so (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) who wants to be subject to that you know what i mean how long is it going to be before we see a central bank get robbed of their crypto and then what happens (laughs) like and and is it crypto like tied to fiat currency anyway i mean isn't that the whole well it's, it's not useful unless you can get back into fiat currency like what are you going to go right. buy with it you need dollars or you need you know whatever the local currency for a particular country is and you can't pay your taxes in that currency for the mmt crowd had tip to them right so what do you uh, eventually when the irs bill comes due for either your property taxes your income taxes your excise taxes name it you need to convert your crypto back to dollars yeah, like I understand this. It's sort of like a temporary sort of, I don't know, like that's a place to stash your cash. Like right? IOU, yeah, like a stash. Yeah, exactly. It's like the virtual yeah. Cayman Islands or something. But like, yeah, you, know, I mean, you can buy up a bunch of you know cans of soup, or you can buy crypto. You know, but at the well, end of the day, it's it's worthless uh, unless it's tied to the same fiat system. So well, it's not just that. It's also like how you how you like hold crypto, right? So you hold crypto either on a hard drive somewhere or you hold crypto in a wallet and uh by holding it in a wallet uh in canada as with many other countries if your wallet like in canada you have to read like now uh because of the uh you know the issue with the trucker convoy now crypto wallets were already um getting themselves registered uh with the um jesus what the hell did i just forget the name of the um regulatory organization but anyway you have to have like a registration with our national auditing agency to begin with. So a lot of those, uh, a lot of the companies already had their registration, but uh, because of the uh, the trucker convoy protest, uh, the minister of finance, Christian Freeland says, well, it's no longer optional. 
you have to register. So it's FinTrack. So now these companies have to be FinTrack registered. So you've basically just defeated, like, that's now defeated the purpose. The only way... Yeah, your fake anonymity is now gone, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so that's, hey, I'll that's... jump off. I see there's other people waiting, too. Thanks for, and Kieran, thanks for letting me, letting me you know, go on and on for a little while. No and uh, I'll, I'll jump off for the next call as I see there's other people waiting now. Yeah, well, thank you very much for the comment. Jesus, first of yeah. all, uh, sorry to do the call is for going on so long, but you already know that I can, like, geek out on financial stuff all day but yeah we should uh should get to our next caller johnny thank you very much that was uh that was super helpful yeah that was very useful actually thank you uh are you have aria mute yourself the button are is in the house shaped like a microphone little bottom microphone on the bottom right side go ahead can and you hear me <laughs> okay aria right. come Arie. on up. all right well as soon as you figure out um what's going on with the microphone situation there Arya, you can you can come right back up to the caller's queue uh, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to K. So, K, if you can unmute yourself, buttons in the lower right-hand corner, shape like a microphone, tap that, and then we can proceed. Ah. Here we are. Yo, what's, what's up? up what's up, hey. my people? Hey, um, it's K. Uh, I'm actually... <laughs> hey, Karen. Um, I'm actually glad, Q, that you're, like, geeking out about financial stuff because uh, that's my question. Um, I just really don't understand uh, the... Um, ruble being tied to um, gold, like how that's like um, seismic shifting. Like I, like I know it is. I just don't understand the actual mechanics of it. So, um, if you could just like explain, like explain that how that affects like um, like U.S. like financial domination, like all those things. I, I just am really curious and interested in like actually understanding the mechanics. Okay, which part? Like how it is that we are moving from like unipolarity to multipolarity? Or yes, like, that yes, out? yes. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. So as uh, Johnny, Johnny and I were talking about earlier, um, there is the question as to whether the U.S. Uh, what's called the petrodollar is going to be, or it can possibly be replaced as a world's reserve currency. So by reserve currency, what we mean is the the currency that countries would want to have on supply in order to purchase goods internationally it's probably the simplest way to explain it so if you want to purchase goods um the the value of goods are generally priced in us dollars the simplest way to or the the, the like the root means of pricing goods in dollars is how much is a barrel of oil worth? So you'll you'll always hear, for example, like what the price of oil is, you'll always hear it in dollars. Oil is thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, eighty dollars, hundred dollars a barrel, and it's always priced in U.S. dollars. That's because um, Saudi oil and pretty much all oil, like that's the the unit of currency um, for which oil is priced and sold, is in U.S. dollars. <coughs> what that also means is that if you want to purchase other goods. From other countries, if you want to purchase commodities such as wheat or copper or steel, uh, other like minerals, agricultural goods, etc., like raw materials, generally they're priced in U.S. dollars. So you pretty much would have to have U.S. dollars on hand, meaning that you would a want to have a good relationship with the United States and b be able to purchase U.S. dollars either on the foreign exchange market or by purchasing goods from the United States, which then puts uh, dollars into your pockets, right? So or have the United States purchase goods from you. So in order to um, move towards multipolarity, that is to 
not have the U.S. be like the default, I guess, like hegemon, uh, you know, the, the, the country whose uh, dollar value pretty much sets the standard for pricing for the rest of the world, there has to be another currency that you'd want to have on hand in order to purchase goods. So when uh, there's, there was news a couple of weeks ago that came out that Saudi Arabia was going to start pricing some of their oil exports in uh, yuan rather than simply U.S. dollars, a bunch of people got excited, and I myself, I mean, I was like, I was like, ah, ha, owned, fucking awesome. But I know that it doesn't really mean a heck of a lot outside of the fact that there is just a certain small set aside that Saudi Arabia is using to price their oil in. Uh, it, the amount of oil set aside to price in yuan versus what's set aside to price in U.S. dollars is like not even, it's barely comparable. Um, but now that there's a, a way for another country to get around uh, sanctions. So a, co- a country that China is an economic partner with is willing to help bail out in terms of um, getting around the sanctions that saw uh, the global payment system removed from that country altogether, SWIFT. Uh, China, in a sense, helped bail them out by saying, well, you can just use our system instead, the, the cross-border international payment system, SIPS. So it's a Chinese-based system that's based in Shanghai. Um, Russia can simply connect themselves to the SIP system rather than using the SWIFT system to get around some of those uh, international payment blockades. Uh, and on top of that, um, what Russia's done is because Western Europe is heavily dependent on Russian gas in order to keep the lights on, uh, interesting gamut that they came up with in order to... Be, and this is because uh, every just about every Russian good and commodity was sanctioned except for gas, because Europe doesn't want to cut its own throat. You cut off Russian gas. Well, how are you going to make it through the rest of the winter? So um, because Russia had the one loophole, uh, because they're, uh, because the rest of Europe is so heavily dependent on their oil and gas, they said, okay, well, since you seem to want to, since you're dependent on our oil, and yet you are essentially f- stealing from us by paying us in a currency, um, and in bank accounts that we have in your countries, which you've now frozen, you've basically gotten those commodities for free. So like, yeah, you said that you paid us, but we can't actually receive the payments because the the banks that we've opened up in your countries to be able to take those payments, well, now they're frozen. So we don't benefit from it whatsoever. So here's what we're going to do. So this uh, state, uh, the state banking entity that is based on our oil or our gas exports called Gazprom, what you're going to do is make the deposits in that bank with our own currency. And the, the gambit there is that now Europe and to an extent Western countries broadly are forced to um, either uh, trade rubles for gold or uh, that they're going to have to buy um, additional Russian products to be able to get enough rubles to pay for the gas in the first place. So, with those three sort of like uh, those three new developments that have happened since the invasion of Ukraine, I'm not saying that that is what is going to cause multipolarity. I'm saying it, it certainly has moved the rest of the world towards a paradigm where they can imagine not being completely dependent on the U.S. reserve currency and not being completely uh, cowed down by the prospect of their countries being sanctioned by the U.S. and the EU that they can see alternatives to doing business with these countries uh, based on the possibility of uh, having financial partners in Russia, China, and elsewhere. Does that make sense? Or Yeah, it does. Um, 
I guess my like follow up question is, and my my apologies if you've like already answered this. Like, how does the gold standard or tying the ruble to gold like play into that? Because I was was reading an article this morning that like basically was talking about how it kind of stabilizes, I guess, the ruble and something. I don't I don't know. All all it does is that um, because okay. So with uh, currency that is not tied to a gold standard, um, the currency price is generally set by how much it is worth against other currencies on a foreign exchange market. So rather than it being um, fixed to the price of a commodity, and gold standard is popular because countries have been fixing their prices to gold since time immemorial. But you can fix your the price of your currency to just about anything. You can fix it to the price of any kind of commodity. You can be fixed to the price of like copper or wheat or whatever or oil, uh, which is what the petrodollar is pegged to. But by fixing it to the gold standard, well, what you've done is created a, a commodity that really can't be sanctioned. Like you can't really sanction gold. Like gold is gold. Uh, so you can't stop a country from receiving gold. You can't stop a country from sending out gold because there is an international market for gold and every country is able to participate. There are some countries that do not have gold mines but have gold reserves or other countries that have gold reserves but don't have gold mines. Gold is just simply an internationally recognized uh, form of exchange. So what that does is, uh, A, like peg it to a price that can be stabilized um, and B, makes it very difficult to sanction. So it's not as though... Like, a lot of people think of the gold standard as, like, the better standard or, like, returning to tradition, which was better in the first place. But if you peg the price of your currency to gold, there's a lot less that you're able to do, as uh, Johnny was mentioning before. If you need, for example, um, to raise a lot of money on short notice to, let's say, make up for a massive financial shortfall, as happened during the 2008 financial crisis, uh, people talk about money as if it's, like, printed up out of thin air, and that's absolutely not what happens. What they do is they sell, um, they sell government uh, debt securities or, or, or government debt instruments, I should say, government debt instruments such as uh, T bills and uh, short term bonds and long term bonds, etc. So what is uh, backing the printing of this money is people purchasing uh, debts that can be relieved in ninety days or six months or one year or five years or twenty years. So what, what is basically backing the quote-unquote printing of this currency is people buying that country's debts, which is paid off to them over the agreed-upon period of time. But with gold, you don't have the ability to do that because there's no debt backing it. People aren't buying your gold, uh, so you can't raise money fairly quickly to make up for uh, massive financial collapses. Does that make sense, or did I just complicate shit? No, no, that. No, that that definitely makes a lot of like a lot more sense than what yeah. I was understanding it. I just didn't like I was having trouble putting together like how um like like how it would shift things so dramatically um overnight. I mean just just like keep in uh, mind because... that like with gold Yeah, so there's like there, there's three forms in which gold basically exists. It's either in jewelry, um I don't know, it's occasionally in people's teeth. It's in um, like micro devices, you know, like uh, like uh, uh, electronic devices, and for the most part, like like I forget like how many how much percentage of gold is under the ground, but it's something like ninety percent of gold is buried under the ground somewhere, right? 
So if you're if you're buying gold in order to back your currency, you actually have to move the gold from one place to the next, right? Which is why uh, countries like France are absolutely fucking laughing because France doesn't actually produce any gold, but it has massive gold reserves. And uh, countries like Mali um, are still being plundered. They didn't even have the ability to buy their own currency in gold because all the gold that comes out of Mali ends up in, in uh, French uh, reserves. So not only is it incredibly inconvenient, it's also, in a sense, reinforcing already existing hegemonies because the places from which gold is derived are not the places in which gold is stored and the countries that uh, from which gold is derived are not powerful countries, even though they ought to be. Okay, no, that, that um, totally makes sense. And then just have one last question. I just want to go back to the um, uh, Russia essentially telling um, Germany um, to buy its gas and rubles. Um, what, like, what is your prediction? Like, do you think Germany is really going to, like, not... <laughs> well, uh, don't I, don't ask me to... Pre- don't do this to me. Don't ask me to predict things. I've... Or what? Is, uh, okay, I'm not going to say... I'm, I'm not going to say your predictions. What do you... What's your opinion, I guess? Um, like, are they like, are they really going to be like, nah, we're just going to let 40% of our energy just go to the wayside um, with no way to replace it? Well, can, can I add on to this one? Uh, according to reporting, uh, countries are already buying rubles. Uh, they're already acquiring rubles so they, they can have that purchasing power with Russia. The Vatican has uh, been purchasing rubles. The Vatican itself is a considered as a nation. And one thing I would say that is a major shift uh, with this is that it does challenge uh, U.S. hegemony, although everything Q is pointing out with logistics is absolutely accurate. Um, it still challenges the uh, power that U.S. has held for a long time, in my opinion. And um, at the same time, it's going to devalue U.S. currency. Would you agree with that, Q? Well, that isn't it? Yeah, I mean, sorry, I just to chime in. Zoya, welcome. Uh, Q, you know Zoya. Everybody, know Zoya. Zoya is also one of the hosts of our Twitter spaces that we've been holding where we kind of got to all know each other. So welcome, Zoya. Thank you. Um, and what you're talking about, yeah, what you're talking about, the uh, reducing the hegemony, that's what I was going to say. So, so Q, sorry I jumped in, but is it about, like my partner was also talking about this, um, the euro and the ruble are going to basically, but they were both tied to the U.S. dollar, right? So is it that they're not going to be tied? They're going to be tied to each other more? Is that what we're... Wait, are you asking me that question? I, I believe she is. Uh, but currency is still valued against each other. So that that's still a factor. Uh, Q was talking about that. Um, right. So th- they that, were all tied that's... to the U.S. Like everything was centralized um, against the U.S. dollar, right? So, for example, if we wanted to uh, convert Canadian dollars to uh, euros, you know, we could con- convert those. And I think the uh, other person was talking about the convertible currency, but we could convert those directly. But in, in like the Forex markets or something, does isn't it that everything kind of was measured against the U.S. dollar? So if some currency was up or down, it wasn't compared to like a Canadian dollar is up or down. It was usually compared to the U.S. dollar. Euro is up or down. It's not like Canadian and euros were compared to each other. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Or... Q? <laughs> Yo, I got like three brain cells left. Could you could you like condense that question a little? Can you can you there? Would you, would you mind? Would you mind I'm rephr- here. Sorry. Yeah. Would you would you mind rephrasing that in in a, sh- okay. in a shorter? Yeah. So, so as I understand it, mm-hmm. that 
in the foreign exchange markets, you know, people who literally do that as yeah. a profession, which is definitely not me, but as I, I'm trying oh, no. to I have a very, very foreign basic exchange is not a profession. Person. Foreign exchange is not a profession by any stretch. Foreign exchange is, it is as like, uh, it's, it's, it's a charnel house. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's a casino. Like foreign exchange is not a, uh, by any means, um, a professional endeavor. It is, it is just mm -hmm. gambling, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but I'm just saying the people who like literally are forex traders, uh, whatever, however stupid that industry might be, but I'm just saying that, um, yeah. Um, but isn't it true that, um, and maybe I'm wrong, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but, mm -hmm. um, as I understand it, that until recently, let's say, if you said, hey, the Canadian dollar is down, or you said the yuan is up, or you said the Russian dollar or the Russian ruble is down, or the euro is down, or whatever, you would be, and by you, I mean generally, people would be saying that in comparison to the U.S. dollar. To the US so, dollar. yeah, that's correct. Yes, so that's what I mean, is that it would, they were t everything was kind of tied to the U.S. dollar. It was seen as the default measure by which everything else was measured right so if the eu and ruble are they basically are we moving into a world where the eu and the ruble will be um exchanged without the u.s dollar oh, in, oh as part oh, of that exchange okay okay i wasn't sure what you okay um oh, no, i'm sorry yeah i don't that's the thing like that's that's what we're what johnny and i were talking about before i uh, if the U.S. is no longer the world's reserve currency, then by what standard do you compare other currencies to? I don't know, but you would have to find something. And it, it then comes down to, is it going to be a, another currency that replaces it? Is it going to be a, is it going to be gold? Is it going to be Bitcoin? Is it going to be, I don't know, um, frozen concentrated orange juice? We, like, we, we, we really do not know. It, it's a, that is like an up-in-the-air question right now, is if the U.S., uh, petrodollar no longer represents like the hegemonic force by which all the other currencies and by which commodities are compared what replaces it we still don't know the answer to that yet or at right. least i don't okay. maybe others in the room can offer a better answer to it but i really don't know yeah i mean and and that's okay so that's where i was saying that the um where i was saying the bitcoin itself is is dependent on it, it, it's basically like it's not possible because bitcoin itself is tied to more, more often most often u.s dollar like you say bitcoin is up or down based on its value compared to the u.s dollar i mean that's ties to the you know so yeah i think that is the fundamental question and i mean zoya is that what you were referring to is that the rubles are no are going to be tied to the eu like the eu and the ruble are gonna well I, of, i'm just saying they're switching to a different commodity so rather than like being like the petrodollar and being tied to the price per barrel of oil, they're now going to be priced to, uh, um, going by the price of gold per ounce typically. So by switching to this different commodity, uh, like Hugh is saying, it's an unknown how it's going to shift things, but it's going to definitely shift things and devalue the dollar because the dollar no longer has the same monopoly by how much. Uh, it, it's uncertain. It's not like the entire world has shifted. And there's certainly the issues that Hugh was touching on as far as where is the gold physically and which powers hold the gold reser uh, reserves. But it's definitely a shift in a system that we haven't seen shift 
for I don't know how long. <laughs> um, so it, it's an interesting thing that's happening. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it's predictable what the outcome will be. Uh, but also uh, regarding Bitcoin, Bitcoin is extremely volatile. Um, so Bitcoin, I don't think is going to be the thing that replaces it at all, um, unless they come out with some other um, cryptocurrency that can be regulated. But even then, it still has to be tied to some sort of commodity. There has to be uh, so something that represents the value. Right now, money represents debt. <laughs> that, that's what it is. It's a promissory note. But ultimately, uh, the backing is by a commodity. And Russia saying it's not going to go by the petrodollar. What's interesting about that is that, uh, to me, <laughs> Saddam challenged uh, the petrodollar by going outside the OPEC agreement. And that's suddenly when he became an enemy of the people. And Gaddafi was doing the same thing. Uh, so the United States has certainly gone to war uh, over trying to maintain the power of the petrodollar. Right, cool. um, I have uh, another question. Sure. Yeah. So, um, and this, I think, I think this will be my my last question as well. Um, uh, a couple of us were talking, we're talking about this this morning, and um, so yeah, I think you, I think you mentioned that um, uh, with the ruble being tied to gold now, um, there's like a, a possibility, or like we can expect like food shortages and shortages of like goods and supplies and in the West, can can y'all just explain, like why or how? Oh, I wasn't I wasn't tying that to to the fact that it's switching to gold currency. Just in general, uh, we can expect food shortages. One, there's many factors and reasons behind that, but one major one being that 25 percent of wheat comes out of Ukraine and Russia combined. And that has already been interrupted, as well as uh, a lot of uh, fertilizer that industrial farming uses, including in the United States, comes out of Ukraine. And uh, you've seen those prices exponentially increase. And it's already disrupting uh, the food chain. So we are going to see prices rise. We were already seeing prices on food rising because of inflation. And we can expect now to see shortages in certain specific, especially wheat related products and inflation to keep rising. I was actually like in a bit of a, uh, I don't know, it was an unnecessary spat because I didn't mean for it to become one. But uh, <clears throat> somebody um, was responding to one of Lee Camp's tweets last night and was saying that uh, the fact that um, the U.S. is now going to be increasing its ethanol production. It was like, you know, this is absolute bullshit. Like, this is now uh, dumping um, corn into gas tanks that should be used for food instead. And that got me thinking that, like, this is actually a, a time to start rethinking our agricultural models. Because one of the reasons that um, that we require such a hefty supply of fertilizer is because of the way that we have these massive monocultures. So, like. There are like an entire state-sized tracts of land where there's corn planted. For fucking what? Corn is actually one of like so the the problem with corn is that an essential nutrient held within corn is not bioavailable. So it's uh, very difficult to get um, a uh, a nutrient called niacin into the human body through the ingestion of corn, whether it's like eating raw corn or whether it's like corn meal, et cetera. 
um, the process of creating cornmeal does not make niacin bioavailable to the human body. You have to put it through this process of grinding it with limestone and ash. Uh, that's called nixtamalization. And what that does is uh, make it easier for uh, niacin to be absorbed by the human gut. The problem is it's easy enough to do if you're, say, providing for a village. It is very difficult to do on an industrial scale. It's very pricey, which is why we have uh, what's called, for example, like uh, enriched flour. But uh, enriched flour um, is uh, the enrichment process for flour is done through like through wheat because it is much cheaper on an industrial scale, not done as much with uh, with cornmeal. So you, you generally cannot eat a diet that's heavy in cornmeal. You have to supplement it with other nutrients. Generally, if you have a diet that's consistent of cornmeal and beans, you're okay because the beans are making up for the uh, the lacking amino acids and for the, the niacin. But what that also means is that, well, if we have these gigantic tracts of land that are providing only one crop, do we now start thinking? And also, you know, besides all of that, there's the fact that uh, corn requires plenty of fertilizer to grow and pe- plenty of energy to grow. It's a very energy-intensive crop. Well, what are our, our two biggest problems right now that we're staring down the barrel of the availability of energy and the availability of fertilizer. Um, on the other hand, there are crops like potatoes, whether they're like yams or sweet potatoes, but tubers generally um, yield much more in the way of calories per hectare. But the problem with them, and, and they're also more nutritionally dense. So you're not going to be like lacking in nutrients by eating say like sweet potatoes or like white potatoes, other forms of yams. The problem was um, cornmeal and, and wheat and other, uh, you know, uh, um, grains that you can sort of like pulverize and, and make into flour. Uh, they keep very, very well. You can store cornmeal. You can store uh, wheat meal. You can store that in grain silos. You can't really store potatoes that way. They will, they will rot. So the problem with, uh, with potatoes and tubers generally is that they don't keep well and you can't feed them to livestock. So what I think this makes an argument for is that we should have a much wider variety of uh, nutrient products that we farm that we should probably at least have a look at nationalizing some of these agribusiness entities and stop letting private companies dictate the nutrient flow as well as the pricing of nutrients and the utter waste of nutrients. There's absolutely no reason for corn to be dumped into fuel tanks. Ethanol doesn't blunt climate change. It's not cleaner gas. It doesn't really do anything besides subsidize corn farmers in Iowa. And the only reason that corn farmers in Iowa have to be subsidized is to give presidential candidates a better shot. I don't even really think it gives them a better shot at anything because, you know, Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders, depending on who you believe, won the Iowa caucus and did it translate into a presidential victory? No. So the only reason that we're Doing this is for this ridiculous fucking song and dance that could be done away with immediately. Um, and rather than a wasteful overproduction of a certain kind of crop that isn't necessarily the most uh, nutrient efficient crop out there, we could be making farms um, raise or we, we could be making farms grow a wider variety of crops that are more nutritionally dense, but we're not doing it for political reasons. But there is a reason that corn is such a popular uh, crop uh, in America and corn uh, has been subsidized. I don't remember the numbers, but it's been subsidized for decades and it is very inefficient. And then they use corn to feed livestock in massive amounts. 
Right. Like, uh, and, and we're losing the amount that uh, that food could potentially, the amount of people that that food can potentially feed. We're feeding a much larger number of it to the cattle. Well, that's where, yeah, that's where the, the word corn, uh, corn fibs comes from. When you think of, like, uh, uh, pigs and cattle and chicken, yeah, they're, they're fed on a corn diet, which is not even necessarily good for them. Like, uh, we, we do know that, uh, you know, cattle um, develop better on a grass-fed diet. Corn-fed diet is generally unnatural for most cattle. That I mean, uh, most of the cattle that we raise are not uh, indigenous to North America. They generally get by on, on a grass-fed diet. They're used to grazing, not eating corn. So it causes gut problems for them as well. It causes uh, immune system problems for them as well, which is why they have to be pumped full of uh, um, antibiotics, et cetera. Yeah, they they actually, on top of that, they cut massive holes. You can look it up on YouTube uh, if you have the stomach for it. They cut massive holes inside of the cow's stomachs just to relieve the pressure uh, because uh, they can't naturally digest the corn and it builds up so much bloating and gas in their stomach. So literally like almost one foot size holes. I was, uh, it's funny you brought that up, Zoya, because I was just about to say that um, literally cow farts are a not insignificant uh, but substantial portion of bloating. That too. <laughs> I knew we were going to get here somehow. I like... The moment we started talking about agriculture, I'm like, we're going to get the cow fart sooner or later. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. Oh, it's it's a big part of the uh, methane pollution. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, cute. You have to run out or something. Thank you. Yeah, I do have to. Uh, no. Uh, okay. I really do appreciate your question because it makes the wheels turn. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, we can move on to uh, Arya's question, and I got to uh, duck out for a Culture TV meeting, but I'll be back in a bit if you guys are still around. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Q. Thank you, Q. All right. Uh, Arie, whenever you're ready, uh, mute, uh, unmute yourself, please. Bottom right. Hey, everyone. Um, yeah, so I was just thinking in terms of what this means for Germany. And I feel like I feel like something that's not being discussed is this impact that these sanctions are actually having on Germany. And it feels like a, partly a, like an, like a play by the U.S. empire to undermine Germany in a way and sort of also maintain its hegemony, right? So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I read somewhere that um, the whole point of NATO was to keep Russia out and keep Germany down or keep Germany or keep Europe down, basically keep, you know, I think that there's definitely an element of the United States in particular using this whole thing, this whole debacle that, that, you know, basically has been spearheaded by the U.S., let's face it. I mean, the the NATO expansion, this has all been, you know, a long-term strategy um, since the fall of the USSR or even before to, you know, expand U.S. hegemony and maintain U.S. dominance. And so, but but they're basically, you know, in, in Urdu there's a saying that you put a gun, you put the gun on somebody else's shoulder before you shoot it. Um, so like, basically you do the thing, you do the, 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 the trigger pulling, but you do it behind somebody else's, um, you know, facade. So I think that's, uh, Europe is obviously, I don't think that Europe is stupid to go along with it. I think the European ruling class, the, you know, the heads of state, the, um, the business class, the ruling class of Europe 
is complicit and they're just fine with it because it's not like they care about what happens to the working class people of Europe. Um, so, you know, similar to how we have it here in Canada and the U.S., where our uh, political leaders and corporate leaders uh, are just in it to, you know, make sure that they get a nice big profit, big hefty profits out of everything. And so for them, I think, yeah, they have um, continued to um, rely on NATO as the sort of, uh, you know, the uh, the hench person, the henchman of um, imperialism. So, yeah, I mean, to your question, like what happens to the EU? I think the EU uh, as, you know, again, there's the working classes of the EU, which may have different uh, opinions on these things, which may not even be, I know so many of them might not be aware even of what's going on or the extent, because there's a lot of information control that's happening in Europe. I do know some people in Europe, and unless you are plugged into some of these, you know, uh, leftist and socialist and anti-establishment type channels, um, you will, even in Europe, you do not, you're not getting info. In fact, you might be getting less than you are getting in the U.S. because there's even more sort of uh, censorship going on in Europe. Um, but so I'm, a lot of people in Europe are not even aware of what's going on. I know people in Europe who didn't even know that Russia was saying that uh, you, uh, EU has to buy its gas in rubles. Like literally European pe people who live in Europe who did not know that that is happening because they are just not being told that. It's, it's, it's in their mainstream media as well. So um, – I think so there's that and there's so there's the the working class which is partly maybe kept ignorant which is maybe partly kept uh you know the, who are fed maybe reactionary things um but also who are actually the ones getting screwed and who are the ones who are going to pay higher prices who are already paying higher prices I read that in Netherlands um gas prices have already gone up by 21% um or oil prices sorry have gone up by 21% in like just the last few days um, and so just like everywhere else, it's, you know, the, the average working class people who are going to put the bill, um, but the upper class, the ruling class, European, you know, uh, heads of state, NATO head, you know, NATO leaders, they're going to, they have their large investments. They are, they're getting their, you know, their bucks or whatever. So they don't care. What do you think, Zoya? Sorry, I'm I'm doing a couple other things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, obviously everything that you're saying. Uh, the people who are rich, they're invested in stocks and companies that are going to make them money regardless. So they don't care what happens to the people. But in general, of course, NATO uh, was there to impose American superiority and imperialism. And as a result, as an outcome, lots of countries suffer. So I don't think that Germany is specifically a target, uh, but it, it's an outcome. By, by targeting Russia, the, the countries that depend on Russian resources obviously are also going to pay the price. Um, America doesn't care about that because it works out in its favor. So I don't think that, you know, when they're sitting there, they're trying to intentionally target Germany. They're more, um, and from my perspective, willing to sacrifice Germany. Does that yeah, answer yeah. your question? Yeah, great. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, if I was a German or a French or, you know, Belgian or whatever citizen, like average working class person doing my, you know, making my schnitzel or not schnitzels, uh, uh, I have uh, to unmute myself they, to laugh. Sauerkraut. 
uh, making my sauerkraut or whatever it is they do there. Um, you know, I would be, I would be pissed off. I would be pissed off because yeah. Um, I, I know somebody who was telling me that their heating has already doubled from, since I think November or December. They're literally paying double in heating prices and heating costs in Germany. So it's only going to go up, but you know what? They're probably being fed is the same thing that we're being fed. I mean, first of all, some of this is price gouging. I mean, not when it comes to gas. Yes. I think that there's actual like, dwindling supplies but oil prices in the u.s for example have gone up just due to price gouging there isn't really that much of a difference in terms of like the u.s did not get a lot of oil from russia the u.s's like supplies have not gone down um but and even the barrel the uh, i've been reading the the price per barrel is actually lower than it was um in 2009 or 8 and when the price the gas price was actually like way lower so i mean like the the um what they're doing now is at the at the gas pump in the US and in other parts of like in Canada they're gouging so there there's no reason other than they're just scaring people and telling people oh your prices are going up because of putin it's not, <laughs> not in the Americas anyway. So well, yeah, and to add to that, uh, the pr- the trajectory of the prices uh, on the U.S. market were already going up. They they've been going up since Biden took office. I posted a graphic earlier today. Um, so you know, this is just in line with that, and obviously they're using Russia as a scapegoat and, and this crisis as a scapegoat for price gouging because, in fact, the uh, price per barrel of oil is the same as it was in 2008. So there's no reason for this. Even if you factor in, you know, uh, inflation for uh, the cost of production, such as, you know, uh, the cost of the facilities themselves, the cost of workers, uh, cost of labor. So even with those factors, there's no way that such a massive price increase makes sense. And at the same time, the oil companies are making hundreds of billions in profit. And another thing to, to keep in mind that there's approximately on average 10 oil spills per month and it never gets any coverage, which has a, a permanent environmental cost. And, and that's never seen reflected in the pricing and gas companies or oil companies already get subsidized in America. And then the cleanup is also the burden of that is never on the companies. It's on the government. And then they try to shift it um, onto the consumer. Yeah, no, they're complete, complete scams. And uh, I, you know, they know it. It's just the average person doesn't always know it. I didn't know all these things. So it's absolutely gruesome. And yeah, all these oil spills, they're, we're not even talking about them anymore. Like we're not talking about mass shootings and school shootings anymore. You know, it's just like normal now. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, well, unless we have any other callers, I think we can wrap up. Uh, so if anybody wants to come on up, this is your chance. Um, thank you again to all of the people who did come up. Um, and thank you for to everybody for staying on topic today. <laughs> Um, <laughs> last last few times we kind of veered off a little bit. Um, so, um, Zoya, do you have anything to share with us? I know you're involved with um, another very interesting platform. 
Yes. So uh, Revolutionary Blackout Network, it's uh, a bunch of amazing Black uh, activists uh, with even slightly varying perspectives. So it's not, uh, you know, this, this group that sees everything one way, but they are all leftists. They are all anti-capitalist and anti-establishment, and they covered uh, news stories and organized actions and mutual aid, which I think makes them very unique. They have uh, a podcast on YouTube called the Revolutionary Blackout Network. They're also, I believe, on Rockfin and Twitch. So I wanted to use this opportunity to let people know that they exist. They're, you know, I say RBN is better than CNN. <laughs> You're going to get all the news of the day, um, but through a leftist lens and exposing and calling out the propaganda rather than perpetuating it. Um, so uh, I strongly encourage people to check them out, subscribe to them, give them a follow. Um, you know, they're putting in crazy hours to uh, do this for all our communities. And it's really a thankless task. Um, at this point, it's mostly a sacrifice on their part. So if you guys can check them out, Revolutionary Blackout Network on YouTube. And also uh, one of their founders, uh, Socialist MMA, Nick Cruz, he's going to host a space with me tonight on a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Ukraine, Russia, capitalism, communism, China. All, all of these discussions that we've been having. So he's going to join me tonight at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And it should be a very interesting space. I'd love to see all of you guys there if you have the opportunity. And as always, love and solidarity. Thank you so much, Zoya. Yeah, you can follow Zoya on Twitter um, if you don't already. I believe it's uh, at Zoya is love. Um, so yeah, check that out and come on by next Tuesday. We're doing this every Tuesday and Thursday around 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, please do follow me and Q as well on Twitter so that you can see when we do this and other things. So, um, thanks again, everybody. What, and... What's your handle, Karen, in case people don't know it? Oh, my handle is at Karen Opal underscore. So K-I-R-A-N-O-P-A-L underscore. Cool. Uh, okay, well, actually, I think we need Q back to uh, end the room, so I guess we have to keep going. Uh, no, because I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, honestly, I'm still learning this platform, so um, let me see if he's back. Um, I do have to run to teach a geography class. I just want you guys to know I'm making all the geography students memorize the entire map. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a hope for future generations because I tell them, you know, don't try to have an opinion on a country if you can't find it on a map. You you better do your research first. Oh, my God. I, I wish I had you as a teacher when I was young. <laughs> uh, do you teach online or? I, guess uh, I, I did during the pandemic, but now uh, everything's back in person. So I teach at a private school, which uh, gives me a disadvantage of not being in a union. And it's actually lower pay, but it gives me the advantage of shaping my own curriculum. So I go off books because these books are extremely colonized white supremacy. It, it's it, like, don't even get me started. They're still calling indigenous people Indians in the book. And, and the book says that when the Spanish were colonizing uh, California, the, so, some indigenous people were just volunteering to become slave labor on missions. Yeah, they just, you know, wanted to do that.
No, it's not because uh, their family members were being burned alive. No, no. <laughs> wow. So yeah. I teach off book. And I, uh, surprisingly, that hasn't gotten me fired yet, but mostly because a lot of these parents, sadly, are tuned out of their children's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that got me in trouble was I was teaching kids how to use meditation to calm themselves. Huh. So that got me in trouble of, of all the things. So, yeah, going to go radicalize some young minds. <laughs> Aww. Okay, well, good luck, um, and thank you so much for coming by, Zoya. I really appreciate it, as always, and I will I will be checking into your space tonight with, um, with Nick. Thank you so much, and thank you for all you do. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, Zoya. Okay, great. So while we wait for Q to come back, uh, I will tell you a bedtime story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so Q is in a meeting. If anybody wants to come up and have a chat, I am here. Um, I was wondering if anyone has any news about what's going on in the uh, anywhere in the world, but especially in having to do with the EU or with um, the ongoing conflict. Uh, because what I, from what I hear, um, I'm hearing mixed things, and it's really hard to tell. I mean, I'm on these various uh, what do you call them? Telegram channels, and sometimes it's hard to tell which news is accurate. So I'm also hearing, for example, that uh, the U.S. is pressuring Pakistan right now, um, which is where I was born. There's this whole like sort of regime change effort that's going on. Um, so right now it's basically there have there were some. There was, OK, so the prime minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, he released this letter that was apparently um, sent around to some of the opposition leaders that they need to basically oust him otherwise. Like, this was from a U.S. foreign official. It's not clear which official. And so Imran Khan is not, like, the best prime minister or, or anything, whatever. He's he's basically a social democrat, like a very light social democrat. Um, he's But, but he is the most, uh, probably the most uh, progressive or leftist, pres- uh, like, head of state that Pakistan has had in probably, like, 50 years or so. He did create some, or he did enact some uh, welfare programs, like including this thing called um, Ehsas, which is like basically um, welfare for very, or, or actually uh, Medicaid for very low-income people. So the poorest people in Pakistan have had literally no health care. Um, so he started this program which covers them, especially during COVID and things like that, with like good quality health care. So not just like cheap stuff not like very like in pakistan there are huge differences if you're very wealthy you can get like state-of-the-art health care but if you're poor you're kind of screwed so he has been uh, bringing that on um and uh some other benefits uh he's been he's been trying to bring about but there's a lot of corruption in pakistan um like in a lot of places a lot of the sort of uh you know ruling class elite sort of upper class works very closely with the United States, with the IMF, with a world bank, with various Western corporations and things like that. Uh, with like things like voice of America, radio free Asia. These are very, they have very uh, like voice of America Urdu and BBC Urdu, which is the language Urdu. These are huge networks there. It's considered very prestigious if you are, you know, a journalist or whatever, and you work in these. So, that has a lot of effect on uh, 
you know, uh, the media like is very much pro-Western for the most part. And many of the politicians are pro-Western, pro, like they're basically puppets on like many, if not most. Um, so Imran Khan has been kind of an anomaly because he is, con he is relatively independent in his, um, in his approach. In and by that, I mean, he's not a socialist by any stretch of the imagination, but he has a certain sort of nationalist streak where he wants Pakistan to be independent. He doesn't want Pakistan to be subservient to the U.S. all the time and things like that. So that has been quite revolutionary for Pakistan's uh, position. But right now there's this very strong effort to get him out and get somebody in who is a lot more to U.S. narrative. So I find that to be very disturbing in the past when Pakistan has worked with the U.S., that is when Pakistan was at its worst. And um, oh, we have Jason on the line. Go ahead, Jason. Unmute and go ahead, please. Hi. Um, I I didn't have a specific question on the Ukraine situation directly related to, but I I was actually wondering if you knew anything, or if anyone in the room knew. Um, it had details about the meeting that was held to discuss Afghanistan, and um, because I I found that to be sort of you know big news on topic, as well as the uh the situation in Yemen where I saw that uh, Saudi Arabia or the coalition was going to um they were entering some sort of a ceasefire. And I, I didn't get, my, I mean, it seemed very abrupt or out of the blue. And I was just wondering if anyone had more on those sort of fronts. Yeah, no, that is a good question, actually. I read about the Afghanistan meeting. You're talking about the meeting that China organized between Russia, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, I mean, right now, all I'm seeing is, uh, yeah, so it says, I'm, re I'm reading just some articles. Uh, if anybody has any further insights, please speak and come on up. But what I'm reading is basically that um, China strongly backs Afghanistan at regional conference. Um, and uh, basically um, what I'm reading right now is from U.S. news. So like Voice of America, which again is a U.S. government funded outlet. And the diplomats, I don't know what their background or funding is, but... Um, uh, so anyway, um, they seem to have, I mean, definitely a neoliberal outlook, but you know, they, they are seeing that basically China is pledging to work closely with, uh, Afghanistan. And apparently at this uh, gathering, there were representatives from Afghanistan, China, Iran, Pakistan, Russia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. So a pretty wide ranging central Asian um, as well as, you know, Iran and Russia um, that China put together. And I think this is really important. Um, as odious as somebody might find the Taliban, for example, I think it is important that we realize the value of um, they are the de facto, they are the people who are running the show right now. And thanks to the U.S. who helped, you know, we can go back in history and study how the CIA armed and trained and funded the Mujahideen uh, to fight the Soviets, the socialists uh, in Afghanistan, the Soviet-backed socialists in Afghanistan. Um, and they basically brought in all these far-right-wing um, 
fascists, you know, to fight the socialists, and the, the CIA did. So, you know, and then that over time uh, changed and um, became more and more um, entrenched with local Afghan, you know, warlords, um, and became what we know today as Al Qaeda, and then an offshoot, like an in response to that, what became what is now known as Tal- Taliban. So the Taliban are both, um, you know, sort of Afghan like tr- tribal leaders, but also um, definitely have a history with uh, with C- with CIA backed forces. So um, anyway, my point is that, and then the U.S. went in and said they were fighting the Taliban for twenty years. And then ended up just quickly and very uh, kind of em- embarrassingly, like in a rush, leaving Afghanistan, saying, "Oh, we're done. We can't do anything here." And then, so the U.S. left, or actually NATO. It wasn't just the U.S. It was British forces in there, Canadian forces. They left real quick. La- was it late last year, sometime? And then um, they basically stole Afghanistan's money in the process. They so they took about nine billion dollars. They have refused to return. Um, at least three and a half billion do- uh, dollars to the Afghan people. Where right now, um, I read a Human Rights Watch report: thirteen thousand babies have died since the beginning of this year due to malnourishment. So, like the mothers don't have enough milk to give to the babies that are being born, so the babies are dying. Um, thirteen thousand, and it's not even—it's just end of March now. So, um, that's what over four thousand a month. Um, and 95% of Afghan people right now have no access to, um, uh, food, to, you know, actual, um, decent food. So there's a huge amount of strife going on in Afghanistan. Their banking system has collapsed. Um, so it's a huge problem. So a large part of that is due to mismanagement by the Taliban, but also, which is also connected to the occupation, uh, NATO occupation for almost 20 years. Um, so China is now basically having to pick up the pieces and trying to, so people who are sitting here, there are lots of people in the West, uh, kind of saying, well, China is a bad guy for working with the Taliban. China is a bad guy for making deals or for bringing, you know, um, promising investments and stuff in Afghanistan. I'm sorry. Your kind if you're in the West, you're responsible. Your country's responsible for the state that Afghanistan is in. So you really shouldn't be telling somebody, you know, China's like the janitor coming in, cleaning up your mess. <laughs> so you, maybe, you know, don't blame the janitor, blame the one who made the mess. Um, so anyway, I mean, as and I don't, I am never going to tell you that the Taliban are great. I am not a fan at all. Um, but that is the situation on the ground. And that is what China's trying to work with. So yeah, so China put together this uh, meeting with all these Central Asian states and Iran and Pakistan. Um, and so far, all I'm seeing is that there are only, I'm only seeing reports coming out of Western media, which is obviously anti-China. So it's saying things like China's willing to work with Afghanistan, despite, uh, their human rights record. Um, and, uh, but it's also saying things like China has shipped emergency aid, um, and China is looking to develop the copper mining in Afghanistan, you know, along with the Afghan, uh, you know, uh, building infra- infrastructure so that Afghanistan and China can trade with on that basis. Um, and yeah, it says, uh, this diplomat article says China has a non-intervention policy, which I think is really important to remember that um, China will work with um, and trade with all kinds of people, including the U.S. If you want to talk about odious governments that China works with, 
China works with the U.S. China has, you know, the U.S. and China have huge trade uh, relationships. So there is no more odious uh, of a government, I think, than the U.S. So uh, if we're going to be complaining about China working with any country, we should first start with why does China work with the U.S.? Um, but yeah, thank you. I don't know. I'm going to keep looking. And um, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll share some articles once I come across anything or any other analysis by non um, sort of mainstream media sources. Uh, I'll keep an eye out. I'm hoping like Ben Norton or somebody like that is going to look into this uh, uh, at some point. So yeah, I'll keep an eye out. Thank you for bringing that up. Was there anything else, Jason? Jason? No, no, thank you. That That was all. All right. Thank you so much for coming up. Um, okay, I still don't see Q up here, and I have messaged Q, so let's see. I don't understand why the app here uh, won't let me end the room. I mean, I am a moderator, but apparently that's not good enough for this app, is it? Oh, we have Mikey. Hi, Mikey. Come on up. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, you can unmute yourself, bottom right side. There's a Oh, Hi. Side. There you go. Hi. I, I actually, uh, I was just testing out uh, the uh, the the app. Uh, this is my first time in here, so I just pressed that call button, not knowing what it was going to do. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I guess it's okay. the raise your hand to speak thing. Uh, yes. Yes. What have we been talking about, China? <laughs> oh my god. Well, I was trying to avoid China, but somehow we always end up coming back to China. <laughs> no, uh, for the first part, we were talking about currency and um, the fact that the US dollar is getting more and more untethered uh mm. from the you know like for from the ruble from the, even the euro because they have like as we know Russia said that today March 31st is a deadline for the EU to start pay, paying Russia for gas in rubles um and I, I'm still not sure. Maybe, Mikey, you can tell us what's going on because I'm getting various mixed reports from different sources, like what's happening right now. I think things might be in flux. So do you have any updates? No, yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard so many different things from so many unconfirmable sources, you know, like, uh, you know, those uh, to the moon rocket stock traders um, and like kind of like the sketchy, like uh, non-confirmed uh, source reporters uh, who are saying so many different things about like, uh, well, the thing I've been hearing the most that that has been the most consistent is is the idea that uh russia is basically uh giving um uh the eu uh countries like a pass-through like where they uh can give like they can uh give uh their currency or u.s dollars uh by setting up like uh, uh an account through a gasprom bank uh and then the the gasprom bank will then convert those dollars that they put into the account into rubles right and then that allows them to skirt sanctions somehow but i don't know <laughs> right yeah it's a little confusing to me too i'm not really that familiar but i think someone in here was earlier was telling us about that and basically as i understand it that going through gazprom which is russian controlled right like that is a state yeah. controlled bank uh if i understand it correctly the, all of this billions and of euros will be handled by a Russian bank, which means that the power, the control will still be in the hands of the Russian state. So I don't what I don't understand is why a lot of mainstream media is painting this as some kind of win 
for Europe or NATO. I guess they think that that's a win because they're not having to pay in rubles directly. But what they are not understanding is that they still have to uh, use a Russian bank as a go-between. And then that still puts more control in the hands of Russia. So I don't hey, see yo, how that. Oh, they're back. Oh, hey. <laughs> Sorry to bother you. I know you were in a meeting. <laughs> no, no, it's not bothering me at all. I just, uh, you know, the meeting was convened and now I'm back. All right, cool. Good, good, good. Yeah, okay, oh, so also, if this thing also... does not let me end a room, okay? Just FYI. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You should, I should probably, uh, yeah, yeah, having the moderator uh, badge doesn't let you end the room. That is correct. Um, uh, oh, yeah, one thing that I should I should definitely um, let you all know about is that we have a Patreon now. Uh, so the culture.tv has a uh, Patreon, so it's not uh, just supporting myself and Karen. It's actually supporting the entire culture.tv collective. Uh, so along with the Colin show, which we have on Tuesday and Thursday and the Canuck cast, which is on Wednesdays, there's the Monday stream, uh, which goes from two to 5 PM Eastern time on Monday, as well as the new Frankfurt school podcast, as well as the, uh, the subversive podcast, which is going to be coming out within the next two weeks. Uh, there is a financial podcast being put together by uh, three of our comrades, uh, Stu, Nia and Rory. Um, that's going to be uh, discussing uh, global finance uh, from, you know, I think a fairly humorous point of view, um, as well as our uh, pre-recorded uh, video essays and video shorts. So if you want to hop on over to the uh, to patreon.com forward slash the culture dot TV, the culture dot TV, um, you can sign up for one of the tiers. I mean, there's only three of them. There's five, 10 and 25, uh, depending on whatever you think is workable for you. Um, but by uh, sponsoring us through Patreon, you will allow us to uh, to support all of these uh, awesome socialist creative endeavors. Cool. Thank yeah. you. That must be new because I was uh, wondering about that. That's great. Okay. Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. We, uh, we had just like finalized it on Monday. Uh, so now ah. it's good to go. It's up. Awesome. Great. Yeah, everybody. Uh, Culture is doing good work. Good work that's being done by so many people coming together. Um, so... Yeah. Um, so yeah, Mikey just was just up here in the callers list, and we were. I was just explaining to him what I think I understand. Which I he, again, I'm, I'm like when it comes to finance, I like talking another language. It's like I think I'm saying the right words, but I'm not sure because the slightest wrong word can mean something completely different. So, um, what are you talking about? well, about how basically uh, Russia made the eu use a russian bank even though they're still using euros so that means the eu and u.s thinks that they won but they're still having to go through a russian bank which technically still puts russia in control is that like that's what it sounds like to me yeah the uh you know the the um the purchase of uh, russian fuel russian excuse me sorry the purchase of russian gas is being uh, conducted through gazprom which is what they wanted in the first place like they said it had to be through a russian bank and you know gazprom bank is a is a uh, russian state-owned entity that's what it's for the purpose of is for buying gas so i mean if the u.s wants to declare victory they can go ahead but i mean russia's getting what it wants which is gas what i don't understand is um how uh i mean it feels like uh how does this not violate the sanctions right um because I mean, the uh, because uh, out of all the sanctions that were levied, um, Russia's gas was not one of the exports that was sanctioned. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they made it because 30% of Europe's, like Western Europe's uh, gas supply comes from Russia. So they weren't going to just cut their own throats um, yeah. by sanctioning Russian gas as well. They said, hey, we're going to sanction everything except for this gas. And I'm not sure how they worked out in their heads that Russia was not going to try to, I don't know, readjust terms, readjust to be more favorable to itself. I think they, uh, I think they just the United States is just so used to getting what they want through a kind of economic coercion like this that they just weren't expecting Russia to uh, um, kind of like counter. Like, uh, I mean, it's such a fucking ballsy move. I feel like to first pin the ruble to to gold and then to you know, I mean, basically come up with a burn book of like unfriendly <laughs> nations, right? Um, oh, yeah. And like, then, and then, Kieran and, Kieran and I were talking about that earlier. It's like going to a grocery store and loading up your cart, and then walking out of the grocery store without paying. And the cashier is like, "But you got to pay for the stuff." And you turn around, and you're like, "Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we will." <laughs> when no longer sanctioned, <laughs> yeah, we'll pay you when we lift the sanctions. So yeah, dude, uh, I'm taking these groceries and I'll pay you back later. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Let's see if that works next time. I gotta go to Costco. Yeah. Oh, by the way, like I, 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 uh, I expect plaudits from my Northern Ontario accent. <laughs> this, this doesn't, this doesn't come about just by watching Letter Kenny. All right, you have to immerse yourself in the culture. You have, you have to really be around like Sudbury and Thunder Bay heavy like that. I noticed you say about like about though. Oh yeah, I mean I say the word about like a Toronto man's. So you know we actually uh. say about. But if you're from like Northern Ontario, eh? You, you, you say the word about. You say you say like this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is the. I was actually talking about this earlier today because uh, uh, there's a there's a tweet that went up and asked like, uh, you know, what is your accent? Like everyone has everyone has an accent. What is your accent? And I said well, my accent's Toronto man's because you know from, from the west end of Toronto, eh? So you know man's is marvelous thing. So when I talk like so. You know, say that like you know, I'm, I'm part, you know, partially Jamaican, but occasionally I'll say like, "Yo, say Wallahi, fam." <laughs> I don't actually fucking talk like that for the most part, but people do tell me I have a Toronto accent, so whatever the hell, I'll own it. But uh, yeah, I there are like so many freaking varieties of Canadian accent, and they're all terrible. <laughs> Didn't mean to sidetrack you like that. Um, yeah, but, I haven't um, even heard a lot of them, to be honest. I'm a um. Yeah, so uh, I think, like, also uh, the United States and Europe is kind of taken aback. Well, like, Western Europe is taken aback probably by, like, how how much, like, the Russian Federation has gamed this out. Um, Possibly even with China. I don't know. It just seems it seems like there's so many steps ahead, like uh, military strategy wise, uh, but also like how they how they knew uh, the United States and NATO aligned countries would would react. Um, and they, they've been able to preempt like every single thing they were doing because they knew that this was all going to happen. Right. And like people, uh, you know, like Western liberals in particular uh, think that like, you know, Putin's just a mad dictator who's just fucking winging it and just like decided one day to invade when obviously this has been going on for over eight years. And like, he wouldn't have done it. Uh, the Russian Federation wouldn't have done it if they didn't have like, a very specific plan in place. Like, I don't think they just over the past month came up with this idea, right. To, to, um, to respond to sanctions in kind. Cause they knew that the, you know, uh, what, 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 uh, I forget who said it, but they, they called it the mother of all sanctions and would come right. Um, as soon as they did something like this. So they had to have this plan in place. Right. But 
it's also staggering to see like just how little the United States uh, had planned ahead for any contingency of of uh, you know the Russian Federation reacting and responding in kind, right? Like like um, offering like you know uh, like a, a giant shipment of of LNG for for um, uh, for the EU that they can't even use because. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, like, well, I mean, Germany in particular, right? They they have no LNG terminals. They have no uh, natural gas terminals. So it's like, uh, you know, all of this, all of this natural gas that the United States is sending over, um, they they can't even use. <laughs> um, and and the, like, it's gonna take them up to like six years just to build like w- one LNG terminal <laughs> in Germany. Um, and they, they don't have any. Um, to my understanding, they don't even have any like FSRUs, the the kind of like floating. Uh, um, uh, natural gas pipelines, and it just—it just seems like uh, even even like the United States uh, attempts to to rat fuck them in response is 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 like it's just so uh, it's such a drop in the bucket compared to the forty percent of of gas that that uh, is it forty percent? I think it's forty percent that that Russia provides to Germany alone. It's just uh, it didn't seem like they they knew what they were doing, and it, it, I mean. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean the the whole pivot to like just fracking the fuck out of the entire you know um, United States uh, was uh, President Obama's way of of uh, screwing over Venezuela when they pinned uh, uh, their um, um, na- nationalized um, uh, fuel reserves and, well, and, and gas to the dollar, right? Yeah, I mean the uh, the increase in fracking was like in response to a multitude of, excuse me, uh, outside enemy nations, Venezuela being one of them. But it, like this whole like song and dance of um, opening up like oil reserves or like increasing fracking or any of that, it, it these are not interrelated phenomena. And I I I wonder why it is that news. Well, I shouldn't even wonder why news media falls for it so often. It's it's. It's a game. It's a charade because it's not as if like opening the reserve today is going to mean um, availability of uh, fuel tomorrow. That's not how that works. Like if you, if you open up reserves today, uh, that means that like the res- the oil that is produced from the reserves has to then become refined uh, in order to be made into fuel. So the barrels of oil that I don't know are released next week or some shit don't actually become fuel in your tank until like a month from now. So I, I I don't know how to describe it other than the relationship between uh, fuel prices and home heating prices um, and the availability of fuel sources from around the rest of the world. And I'm not even really sure why it is that, like, Russian fuel um, being made available only in euros to Western European countries should have any effect on the United States whatsoever because it's not as if liquid natural gas um, being exported from Russia translates to gasoline fuel in the United States anyway, I, I, I don't, like, there is no relationship between the two. So, essentially, what you're uh, paying for at the pump is a futures market, if that makes sense. Like, you're, you're not actually paying for the, the real cost of fuel, you're paying for speculation. Like, you're being speculated upon as to how much it is that you will be willing to pay to get from place to place based on what geopolitical events that have nothing to do with any of the fuel that even ends up at the pumps even are it's it's another like it's another casino that's made its way into the daily facet of american life yeah i mean like uh 
to my understanding, um, like all like all these prices are just made up, right? Like it's it's just like it's just like a a handful of oil executives, uh, and like OPEC and and you know just a bunch of like billionaires, uh, the the ruling class, like basically cranking this knob and then glancing back at people and seeing how much they're suffering before they riot, right? Like, um, and, and, and they can use the excuse of whatever ge- geopolitical conflicts are, are occurring at the time to be like, oh, this is why gas prices are so high. It's, it's, it's a racket, right? Yeah, no, I, I got that. Um, we should probably uh, get wrapped up because we've been, we've been going for just about uh, two hours now. Yeah, I, yeah. I know, um, Kieran, you, especially with uh, uh, this kind of topic, I mean, this is what gets my blood flowing, but it's not for the faith of heart. Oh, no, no. I'm good. I'm learning, man. I'm learning because <laughs> I, I don't really understand. And my brain just does not process finance should, very well. Like, I've been saying I want to do this for a very long time, and I should actually, I don't know, take it seriously, which is to, like, have some basic explainers. Because the I think in the absence of, I don't know, in the absence of actually – being able to explain things like finance and economics uh, intelligibly to a lot of people in in the absence of having it made easy to them by business journalism, which is what that's supposed to do. Instead, what happens is people being mystified by all of this bullshit will turn to like the weirdest and most nonsensical analogies like uh, or even allegories like kitchen table finances or you know uh you know you you wouldn't take out a multi-million dollar debt for your child to i don't know, pursue a liberal arts degree in college so why are we taking out trillions of dollars of debt and putting that on our children for this that and the third and it's like th- like th- this doesn't make sense none of it makes sense that you, you you can't use household finances as as an analogy to what the government does so at some point i don't know maybe if like people want to like hand over suggestions or make suggestions as to where are some good places that you would want to begin on this? I, and I can do my absolute best to make it like accessible. Um, but I'd be very happy to do like, I don't know, like uh, 10 minute shorts explaining this kind of stuff. I did that way back when, like uh, it must've been like two years ago when the, or was it last year? I remember now. Everything is like running together in my head. Remember the whole GameStop fiasco went down and I was, uh, <laughs> I explained it on TikTok, like how all of the stuff worked. And I think, I think it worked fairly well, but then, I don't know. Sometimes a hard t- I have a hard time figuring out what it is that I know that is useful to other people and where like the limits of my knowledge stop and whether it's, I don't know, whether it's useful for me to, in the capacity that I can explain these things, if it's going to be useful to people or if it just leaves more questions than answers. You know what I mean? Well, it is a big field. Maybe, maybe you and I can talk about it and we can like come up with some kind of dialogue or interview format where I can ask questions as somebody who is interested in this. Oh, Mikey, your mic is doing some weird stuff. Um, gonna move you down, Mikey, okay? Um, so, um, yeah, you know, like maybe we can talk about that as, uh, or maybe we can do it into in one of these live call-in shows or something. Uh, because I, 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 actually, the uh, our little crew on Twitter. I feel like I'm doing um, CFA tests all over again. <laughs> uh, our little crew on Twitter. You weren't there, but we held a, one of the spaces that we had. I had asked specifically about this, about finance from a communist 
point of view from like, you know, not just like criticizing it, but understanding how it works, like understanding how stocks work, understanding, you know, because the, the, we were originally over there talking about the idea of billionaires, like, you know, your Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk types and, and how most of their billions are tied up in these shares, in these stock and equities. And it wouldn't actually be possible for them to liquidate all of those. So um, how much they actually have access to, how much, you know, liquid cash they might have access to is, is I, I don't think is something that is like, it's not the same thing as what their net worth is, right? Because net worth is dependent on all these other, you know, f- commodities or whatever that are held or equities that are not in their hands. So, for example, uh, and and if they were to let's say if Elon Musk was to sell all of his Tesla shares, like literally the global economy would collapse. Not just Tesla, but like all, all the other stocks on the uh, exchange would be affected, and and it would bring because the whole system is built on faith and it's built on the trust that the system works, right? Like that is on the base. It's a faith based system, um, and by that I mean capitalism and all of it, right? So we had a really interesting discussion, and REA was part of it, and a bunch of other people that are not here i think they're mostly on the twitter spaces uh location like environment um we had a really and i was like really excited to actually i want to do something specific because i feel like us we as leftists progressives communists socialists we should really understand how this the mechanics of this works uh we kind of tend to i think at least in my case i have in for the most part just kind of written it off as like well it's all just bad it's all just but I want to understand the mechanics of it because we can maybe find ways to, and I don't mean just like GameStop, like buying a lot of stock. Like, I don't think that's necessarily the way to do it, but we at least need to understand how the game is played. If we're going to find ways to, you know, make inroads or, or find ways to break things down. You know what I mean? Like I, that's just how I see it. So I think it'd be very useful to have someone with your knowledge and expertise or, and other people who are, you know, familiar with finance and, and 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 all of that to come in and maybe we could have a discussion. I would love yeah, to do that. Zoya and uh, Johnny, I believe it was. I mean, feel free to, to come on through for that. But um, yeah, yeah. Meantime, Let's wrap up I, for today. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, great great show today. Um, I am going to lie down with a cold towel over my face and drink some tea in anticipation for the next one. Karen, a pleasure as always. And I'm also going to um, once the show is shut down, um, drop a link to our Patreon in uh, the show. Um, uh, and the show profile as well. So yeah, uh, if you like us, please support us. And you're not just supporting myself and Kieran, as mentioned, but you're supporting a multitude of projects that's being put forward by the culture.tv, all of which is to provide uh, both a uh, an alternative to um, what you're hearing on mainstream news and hopefully to be able to provide an education that everyone finds useful as well. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for calling in and for listening in and sharing. And please come back Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll be here. Take care. See you next week, Karen. Bye. See ya.